Ognik Pal, consultant physician. Today, I will give you some latest updates on hypertension. So we know hypertension is a chronic problem and globally it accounts for approximately 9.4 million annual deaths according to BMJ article published in 2019. Now, as per WHO, nearly 63% of total deaths in India are due to non-communicable diseases of which 27% are attributed to cardiovascular diseases and which affect 45% of people in the 40 to 69 years age group. Now, this hypertension, that is the increased blood pressure, is one of the most important risk factors for increased cardiovascular risks. And moreover, it remains poorly controlled due to low awareness about hypertension lack of appropriate care through primary care and poor follow-up. So hypertension is quite common across the different age groups, across the races, across the different countries. And we know hypertension can be determined by checking the blood pressure. Now blood pressure should be measured with a well-calibrated spigmo manometer and the bladder white with the cup should be at a approximately 80% of the arm circumference. Now we can take the blood pressure in the ambulatory position. It is known as the ambulatory blood pressure. It can be taken in the clinic of the doctor, which is known as the clinic blood pressure. And it can be taken in the home, which is known as the home blood pressure. Now, if we consider about the definition of the hypertension in accordance with the different major guidelines, it is usually recognize the office or clinic blood pressure greater than equal to 140 millimeter of HG systolic blood pressure and or diastolic blood pressure greater than equal to 90 millimeter of HG is known as the hypertension. And if there is only increase of the blood pressure in the systolic range, that is known as the isolated systolic hypertension. And this hypertension diagnosis is usually done, should be, uh, it should be done after two to three office visits at one to four weeks intervals, depending on the blood pressure level. And the diagnosis must be made on a single visit if the blood pressure is very high, that is greater than or equal to 180 by 110 millimeter of HG. Now, what I'm talking about the out-of-office blood pressure measurement. Now, recently it has been recognized that the out-of-office blood pressure measurement or home-based blood pressure measurement or ambulatory blood pressure measurement is more important in picking up the hypertensive population. Now, out-of-office blood pressure measurements are more reproducible than office measurements. They are more fully associated with hypertension-induced organ damage and the risks of cardiovascular events. And we have to identify the white coat and masked hypertension also. And these have been included in the recent 2020 International Society of Hypertension, Global Hypertension Practice Guidelines. So what do you mean by this white coat and masked hypertension? So basically white coat hypertensions are in intermediate cardiovascular risks and their diagnosis needs confirmation with repeated office and out of office blood pressure measurements. White coat means it is usually recognized in the when the patients are measured blood pressure in the uh, office, that is the, in the clinic's office or in the chamber, but it is not evident uh, when the patient is at home. The opposite side is the masked hypertension. Here, 
the patients are also at similar risk of cardiovascular events like sustained hypertensives. And here, the patient does not have hypertension picking up at the office, but the hypertension is present in the home when we are taking the ambulatory blood pressure. So all these patients are basically at high cardiovascular risk. We have to treat them accordingly. And among the different types of the risk factors, we know in India, the prevalence is continually growing up. It gone up over 30 years to 38% in men and 32% in women from 29 and 28% respectively. And despite that, the adherence of the uh, hypertensive patients to their medication, picking up of the hypertensive population with the doctors are quite low. Nearly half of the people or 51% of the men and 41% of the women with hypertension basically unaware of their condition. In addition to it, over 62% of the men and more than 53% of the women living with hypertension did not get any treatment. And medication was used to control blood pressure in fewer than 1 in 5 men and 1 in 4 women with hypertension worldwide. This is recently published by Lancet in 2021. Now, the AHA, the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology has released a scientific statement in 2021 offering new guidance for management of stage 1 hypertension among patients with low atherosclerotic cardiovascular risk. So stage 1 means blood pressure is between 130 to 139 systolic and 80 to 89 diastolic. Here the patients have low risk then the management should be start with non-pharmacological therapy. And if the blood pressure remains uncontrolled at three to six months, we have to consider starting the pharmacologic therapy. This was also published in the journal Hypertension in 2021. Apart from this, we know that COVID-19 is ongoing and acute respiratory distress syndrome is a potentially fatal condition involving the lung damage and the experts often associate it with severe COVID-19. Now, another recent study, which was published in Journal of American College of Cardiology 2021, reports that metoprolol, which is a beta blocker used in the treatment of the blood pressure, can reduce the lung inflammation and improve respiratory function in people with COVID-19 induced acute respiratory distress syndrome. Lowering systolic blood pressure targets down to the 110 to less than 130 millimeter of HG range substantially reduced cardiovascular adverse events, which was published in a step randomized trial. And this basically affirms a previous print finding. Print is an another trial which shows that in decreasing the blood pressure far lower in the older Chinese population have held. Among some more than 8,500 8, patients aged 60 to 80, the intensive target trimmed approximately 26% of the composite cardiovascular risk, finding from a second major trial supporting a lower target could unite these guidelines which even among United States professional societies are also showing. So all are thinking whether we can decrease the range of 140-90 to less than 130-80 or like that. Now, with regard to the prognostic value of the ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and nighttime blood pressure, 
2018 European guidelines on the management of the arterial hypertension recommend that the diagnosis of the hypertension should not only be dependent on office blood pressure, as I have already told, but also on the out-of-office measurements, such as ambulatory blood pressure monitoring or home-based blood pressure monitoring. So, 24-hour and nighttime blood pressure measurements were associated with greater risks of mortality and a composite cardiovascular outcomes. Thus, there may be considered as the most relevant measurement for estimating the cardiovascular risk. And for every 20 systolic and 10 diastolic millimeter of AG increment of the blood pressure measured at night, the risk of mortality is increased by 23% and the risk of cardiovascular events by 36%. Now, most patients with hypertension require lifelong medical therapy to achieve their optimal blood pressure goal. The 2018 European guidelines equally recommend five classes of the antihypertensive drugs, considering high non-adherence treatment, the importance of the combination therapy is particularly highlighted to improve the adherence to therapy and improve blood pressure control. Therefore, the guideline, especially in the context of lower blood pressure targets to start antihypertensive therapy, they usually suggested with an initial dual fixed dose combination of angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker plus calcium channel blocker or diabetic. Now, there is another study, the Hygia study which represents the largest study that tested this nighttime antihypertensive treatment. In this trial, basically, they examined the chronotherapy and it is associated with a significant reduction in endpoints, including the death. This Hygia chronotherapy trial tested whether the nighttime treatment in comparison to the usual upon awakening hypertension therapy exerts a favorable cardiovascular risk reduction or not. This is the largest study with a total of more than 19,000 hypertensive patients, average follow-up of approximately 6.3 years. More than 1,700 participants experienced a decrease in primary cardiovascular outcomes. So an ambulatory blood pressure measurement was performed for 48 hours to collect the data here. And the relative risk reduction for cardiovascular event was significantly improved for nighttime treatment when compared with the alkaline treatment. Now, another important thing is salt. So, strong evidence has usually emerged that reduction of the salt intake lowers the blood pressure and reduces the risk of the cardiovascular disease. Now, the current daily salt intake among adults in most countries is approximately 10 grams, with many Asian countries, including us, having mean daily intakes of greater than 12 grams. So, we are taking lots of salt in different types of the fried food also. So, numerous leading medical and public health organizations have recommended a reduction in population salt intake. The WHO has set a global target of a 30% reduction in the mean population salt consumption by 2025 with an eventual target of less than 5 grams daily in adults. So basically a sodium reduction to a level of 1.5 gram per day usually lowers the blood pressure more in older adults than younger adults. So if we decrease the salt intake, 
in the young, they has immediate and sustained effect on blood pressure. And in some elderly, they are more salt sensitive. So there will be a greater degree of experience, the effects of hypertension and the adverse effects of the antihypertensive medication. So salt index reduction is a particularly valuable modality for blood treatment in these in these cases. And it and ultimately alterations in the extracellular matrix of the arterial wall also induced by this disproportionate sodium consumption with diet. Ultimately, that favors the arterial stiffening. So salt sensitivity is an important thing, and the salt intake and cardiovascular prognosis is also positively correlated. It has been seen that if we decrease the salt reduction by 5 gram, it is related to approximately 23% reduction in stroke and 17% reduction in the rate of cardiovascular disease. Among overweight individuals, a higher salt intake was associated with a higher risk of developing heart failure over a 19-year follow-up period. And in patients at high cardiovascular risks, an increased sodium excretion was a strong determinant of all-cause death, myocardial infarction, stroke, and hospitalization for congestive heart failure. But the glitch is, but low sodium intake also was related to an increased risk of cardiovascular risk. So basically, they predict a J or U-shaped relationship between the sodium intake and cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, which was published by American Journal of Medicine. So basically, we have to take an optimum amount of the salt to control our blood pressure more efficiently. Next thing, another thing is, we already I have told about the SPRINT trial. So recent studies such as the SPRINT, SPRINT is basically the systolic blood pressure intervention trial they have highlighted the need to use the proper methods for the measurement of the blood pressure to apply the recommendation based on this cutoff. So basically, when we are measuring this blood pressure, the new guidelines recommends the diagnosis of the hypertension, three to five minutes rest, followed by two to three repeated office blood pressure measurements, which are at least one minute apart. Or out-of-office blood pressure measurement with ambulatory blood pressure monitoring or home-based blood pressure monitoring if it is logistically or economically viable. So basically by this we can also pick up the white coat hypertension, marked hypertension and true hypertension and sustained hypertensive patients. Because if the hypertension is not treated, that ultimately can lead to in the long term, not only different types of the adverse cardiovascular outcomes, but also hypertension mediated organ damage or HMOD. Basically, this refers to structural or functional changes in arteries or end organs like heart, blood vessels, brain, eyes and kidneys. So if there is presence of this HMOD, that ultimately increases the cardiovascular risk more and when the damage affects the multiple organs. So use of hypertensives, antihypertensives basically may reverse some types of the hypertension mediated organ damage, especially when used early. But long-standing hypertension leads to irreversible hypertension mediated organ damage 
that may not improve despite good blood pressure control. Nevertheless, steps to reduce the blood pressure are still important as it may deter further progression of the hypertension-mediated organ dysfunction or organ damage and diminish the elevated cardiovascular risk. So basically, when there is hypertension, this is associated with constellation of changes in the left ventricle, left atrium, and coronary arteries in our heart. The structural and functional changes in the myocardium increases the workload of heart, leading to hypertrophy of the left ventricle, which can progress to heart failure also. Hypertension disrupts the endothelial lining of the arteries. So within the artery, the lining is made up of endothelium that is disrupted. That can result in coronary artery disease and peripheral arterial disease. And this is a major risk factor for the development of atherosclerotic disease. So basically, lifestyle intervention is very important. Lifestyle intervention include not only the salt, but also taking appropriate diet, healthy diet, and also regular exercise. Hypertension already causes, already I have told that it can cause left ventricular hypertension that may lead to diastolic dysfunction. And it is also a potent predictor of heart failure with preserved ejection factor, which we popularly call HFPF, even when the left ventricular systolic function is normal and there is no preceding myocardial infarction. So, recent evidences supports that lowering the blood pressure reduces the risk of this incident heart failure and heart failure hospitalization also, especially in old and very old patients. And treatment with these ARBs, ACE inhibitors, and calcium channel blockers leads to more effective left ventricular hypertension regression than beta blockers and diuretics, which results in a subsequent reduction in cardiovascular events and mortality. And it has been seen that antecedent hypertension is present in 75% of the patients with chronic heart failure. So hypertension aggravates the progression and development of heart failure by causing this left ventricular hypertrophy, impaired cardiac myocyte contractility, ventricular chamber remodeling, and eventually ventricular dysfunction. So the ACC AAHA already recommends that for adults at higher risks of heart failure, the optimal blood pressure should be less than 130 by 80 millimeter of HG. And in these patients, the treatment with antihypertensive medication should be initiated if blood pressure is greater than or equal to 140 by 90 millimeter of HG and active reduction less than 120 by 90 millimeter of HG should be avoided. So the lifestyle intervention is very important and also adherence to different types of the antihypertensive medications is also important. Another recent recognized and verified hypothesis in cardiovascular research is the role of autonomic dysfunction in hypertension. So in patients with hypertension, the most important abnormality of autonomic nervous system imbalance can result in a number of several metabolic, hemodynamic, trophic, and rheologic abnormalities that in aggregate ex extensively elevate the cardiac morbidity and mortality. So we can see when there is these changes, ultimately that leads to more, uh, more chance of the insulin resistance, dyslipidemia, 
metabolic dysregulation, downregulation, increased catecholamine levels, hyperinsulinemia, so the metabolic problems also exacerbate. And it has been seen the prevalence of the hypertension in individuals 60 years and older is twice than those aged 49 to 59 years. So basically, it drastically increases with the increase in age. As per Framingham study, 90% of all 65 years old men and women with normal blood pressure later developed hypertension. And one of the most important neurological disorders in the elderly is also dementia. So hypertension in later life occurs maybe due to some genetic background also and can also cause dementia via series of process which involves disruption of the cerebral autoregulation causing loss of cerebral blood flow maintenance. So ultimately with increased age, this hypertension also deteriorates the dementia. So prevention of the dementia in hypertensive patients is also an important thing. And the recent report published in Lancet cited applying prospective brain mechanisms in preventive strategies against dementia. According to the report, it is important to adapt multi-domain lifestyle intervention, such as increasing brain cognitive reserve, reducing brain damage, and reducing brain inflammation to prevent the dementia. And the role of the vascular protection is involved in the amelioration of the brain damage. So basically, it was a three-CT study that reported that the higher degrees of the cardiovascular health matrix were associated with a lower occurrence of dementia in more than 6,000 elderly greater than 65 years old. Another important trial is the PROGRESS trial and CIST-U that opens the path towards the prevention of dementia by antihypertensive treatments. So the PROGRESS study reported that the use of the ACEI inhibitors with or without diuretics resulted in decreased incidence of the stroke-related dementia, the risk reduction in approximately 19%. On the contrary, there is another trial that is the SAFE trial. They did not significantly decrease the rate of dementia with the use of the clothalidone-based antihypertensive regimen. Similarly, the SCOPE study and the hyvet cox study also did not report any significant difference. So basically, they give the different types of the outcomes depending on the drug that is used in the treatment of the hypertension. And the advantage of the intense blood pressure lowering in patients with acute ischemic stroke who do not receive thrombolysis is basically dubious. So initiation of treatment for those patients is recommended only if the blood pressure is very high, greater than 220 by 120, and the patient suffered from some ischemic stroke. And in patients who have intracerebral hemorrhage, the blood pressure is often elevated and this hypertension is linked to greater hematoma expansion, neurological deterioration and worse prognosis. However, the, this management of the hypertension in, the, in this intracerebral hemorrhage group is complicated by competing weeks. So we have to see the pros and cons of reducing the cerebral perfusion pressure in patients with intracranial hypertension and potential benefits reducing the further breathing. So in the end, what I can tell that apart from this, another important thing is the hypertension and kidney. So hypertension is basically both a cause and the effect of the chronic kidney disease. So as a result, 
sustained elevation in blood pressure hastens the progression of the kidney function, decline in diabetic and non-diabetic chronic kidney disease. On the other hand, high blood pressure may develop early and lead to worse outcomes in chronic kidney disease. And we know the resistant hypertension. When the hypertension is not controlled, in spite of giving three drugs in their optimum doses, in those cases, there may be some secondary causes of the hypertension. So basically, if we can, uh, we can uh, differentiate, we can categorize, mainly we see the primary essential hypertension. It, is, it can be applied to 95% of the hypertensive patients in which the elevated blood pressure results from complex interactions between the multiple genetic and environmental factors. But there may be some secondary hypertension that may be due to some genetic causes, due to kidney disease, renal parenchymal disease is the most common cause of secondary hypertension, which results from increased intravascular volume and increased activity of the RAS. Apart from this, there may be some renal vascular hypertension due to some renal artery stenosis. There may be some primary hyperaldosteronism. Hyperaldosteronism is quite linked with this resistant hypertension. Blood pressure is consistently greater than 150 by 100 millimeter of Hg. There is decreased potassium level known as hypokalemia. And there may be some adrenal incidentaloma also. So this may also cause secondary hypertension. There may be Cushing syndrome. Hypertension occurs in approximately 80% of patients with spontaneous Cushing syndrome. Here, excess glucocorticoids may act to salt and water retention and increased angiotensin level. There may be pheochromocytoma. This is quite uncommon cause. They probably constitute less than 0.1% of all patients with hypertension. There are some other secondary causes like coarctation of aorta, hypertension that is associated with pregnancy, hypertension associated with different other medications like estrogen use. There may be some other different other causes like continual usage of certain medications like cyclosporine, tacrolimus, angiogenesis inhibitor, erythropoietin, decongestant, NSAIDs, alcohol. That also leads to increased chance of the hypertension. And what I'm telling about the constellation of the chronic kidney disease. So basically, the kidney disease, if the hypertension is not controlled in the long term, that ultimately leads to chronic kidney disease. And the intensive blood pressure control, it has been seen that it slows the progression of the kidney function decline, reduces the risks of adverse cardiovascular outcomes, and decreases mortality rates in patients with chronic kidney disease, which is clearly evident with the recent trials, different types of recent trials and recent studies. So lifestyle intervention, as I discussed earlier, with more attention on this sodium restriction are recommended in patients with chronic kidney disease and hypertension. However, it is not unusual for the estimated glomerular filtration rate to be reduced by 10 to 20% in patients treated for hypertension as blood pressure lowering can also reduce the renal perfusion pressure initially. Thus, continuous careful monitoring of the blood electrolytes and the glomerular filtration rate is essential. So this lowering blood pressure is an integral aspect at all stages of the chronic kidney disease irrespective of the underlying cause. Ideally, the individualized treatment as should be considered 
based on drug tolerability and its impact on kidney function, not only on kidney function, but also different other comorbidities the patient have already had. If there is some dyselectrolytemia, we have also taken care of this. However, the blood pressure control becomes more difficult with advancing chronic kidney disease stages, often requiring a combination of three to four antihypertensive medications along with the lifestyle modifications. The ACC AHA recommends that adults with hypertension and chronic kidney disease stage three or higher or stage one or two with albuminuria. Albuminuria means greater than or equal to 300 milligram per day or greater than or equal to 300 milligram per gram albumin to creatinine ratio should be treated with an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker. So this is all about the recent updates of the hypertension. So we have to keep tracking all our hypertensive patients and those patients which are tracked, they should take advice from their doctors about the lifestyle, lifestyle modifications. They should take the healthy diet, salt restriction, regular exercise, regular checking of their blood pressure. And if the blood pressure is not controlled by lifestyle modifications or if it is quite high, we have to take the antihypertensive medications. There are different classes of the antihypertensive medications and according to the different organ involvement, according to the stages of the hypertension, according to the age and according to the comorbidity, antihypertensive drugs are prescribed or combination of the antihypertensive drugs are given and the patients and we should keep adherence to the antihypertensive drugs. These drugs should not be stopped abruptly the antihypertensive anti drugs would be continued lifelong but a drug can be changed it can be increased or it can be decreased so this is all about the hypertension thank you thank you very much